Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intracasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs, any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Today, we're talking about the Monster Manual previews, which are all over the internet, and the DMG release date being pushed back. First, let's meet our panel. We have a new face today. So, panelists, please tell us how long you've been playing D&D and any other credentials you care to mention. With me today at the roundtable are Alex Basso. Hello. Hey, Alex, how long have you been playing D&D? Uh, I've been playing D&D since 2009, I believe, right after 4th edition came out. Uh, that's when I started. I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons related video games since 2001. Tabletop gaming in general, not too long. Uh, I mean, 2009 was five years ago, so... No, nah, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and John Fisher, new face today. John, how are you? I'm good, James. Nice. And how long have you been playing the game? I've been playing D&D since around 1998. Uh, around when 3rd edition came out. So if it came out not that year, please forgive me. But uh, so around 15 years. And uh, then I've also played like the a variety of the Star Wars RPGs and a little White Wolf. I'm in Rudy's Star Wars uh, saga game right now. That's right. Rudy, brother of Alex Basso, who's on the show today. You guys may have heard Rudy. He's on this podcast often. He's a good dude. All right, guys, we got two of you today at the roundtable, and we've got a get-to-know-you question. And the get-to-know-you is, tell us about the most horrible PC death you've witnessed in a tabletop game. All right, Alex Basso, let's start with you. Uh, so the, the most horrible death I've witnessed uh, belongs to my friend, Vegas. <laughs> uh, this was our first campaign. I think we're around 10th or 11th level. Um, we encountered a recurring villain, that we had seen multiple times at that point, and we all absolutely hated. Uh, so Kazel, I believe, charged right at her, and she, wielding a bow, did a point-blank arrow shot. I think somewhere around, like, 60-10 damage, which was, like, by far the most damage we'd seen in the campaign at that part point. I think it might have been a critical hit, and you described it as the arrow blowing out his brains, <laughs> just spreading them everywhere. And I, I had never, like, I guess, imagined a PC dying that, like, like gruesome way. And... uh Poor Vegas had to sit out the rest of that long, long fight. I think re-rolling a, a brand new, at the time, Avenger uh, player character. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. John Fisher, what is the most horrible PC death you have witnessed at the table? Well, I would have to say it goes back to one of my first gaming experiences. Uh, we were playing with a DM who was all about being very explicit with what you are doing. <laughs> and I was playing a, a Star Wars RPG game where uh, somebody got pretty pretty damaged, so we put him in a back-to-tank to fix him up. Uh, for those of you who are not huge Star Wars nerds like myself, a back-to-tank is uh, what Luke is put in after he is attacked by the Wampa on Hoth in Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we didn't explicitly say that we put the mask, the breathe mask, on him, so then the, the GM uh, proceeded to tell us that uh, that character had drowned, and we all... Uh, we all felt pretty bad because we had killed our friend. 
Uh, <laughs> I have to say, I think that that might have been a jerk DM call. Um, in retrospect, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I think that DM could have used? Perhaps a little guidance. And this brings us to our first topic of the evening, guys. The Dungeon Master's Guide release date has been pushed back. So uh, a one Michael Merles, maybe you guys have heard of him, uh, wrote in a Legends and Lore article on the 15th of September that they are pushing back the Dungeon Master's Guide release date. And the reason they're doing this is because they feel like they need to take a little more time to get it right. And they're pushing the official release date back to December 9th for stores who... participate in the early release program the book's going to go on sale november 28th so this is about a three-week pushback for the dungeon master's guide not huge and what they're saying is basically we took a a lot of time with the player's handbook and a lot of time with the monster's manual and we had to borrow time from the dungeon master's guide and we want to get that time back because we feel like making the books as close to perfect as possible is important as a dungeon master i am a little bummed out about this Um, because, you know, it does feel like I've been waiting for a while since the announcement of, you know, D&D Next, essentially. However, I would much rather wait and have a great product than have something that is rushed out for my own part. The one thing that I'm really anxious, you know, obviously there's going to be magic items and advice on encounter building and that kind of thing, which you can find in a bunch of PDFs and fan creation sites and stuff around but I, the one thing I'm really anxious to see is I want to see a lot of the rules modules which are in here. You know, the mass combat rules module, downtime rules module, magic item creation rules modules, things like that are going to be in here. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that I'm really anxious to see because it was touted as a big part of 5th edition. So I'm anxious to see that. But I'm, I'm waiting to hear your guys' opinions. So why don't you tell me, Alex Basso, what do you think about this book getting pushed back? Personally, it doesn't really, I think, affect you know me that much. Just because we didn't, you know, my group, we didn't really start a campaign until last week. So it'll give us, you know, a little more time to kind of explore the base game, and then when it comes out, it'll be a nice surprise if there's any cool modules we can add in and kind of freshen up the game, you know, two months down the line. Uh, and you know, obviously, I'll be missing magic weapons, but we know that those aren't as important in this edition, and uh, you know, they'll come later in the campaign. But otherwise, I mean, you know. I you know this is a good decision. Don't release an unfinished product. You know they're they're not going to get a chance to re-release it if they don't like it. So you know take the time, make it good, and you know everyone should be happy. We got more pages with the monster manual, so give them a couple more weeks. Don't be don't be angry. <laughs> That's a good point. The extra pages in the monster manual must have eaten into the schedule of the dungeon master's guide, which you know hey. We can't be too greedy, right? So, John Fisher, how about you? Any thoughts on the Dungeon Master's Guide being pushed back? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's disappointing um, that it that it would get pushed back just from a perspective of someone wanting the book. You, you want it quicker, but, um, you know, I, I agree that it's especially, actually, more with the Dungeon Master's Guide than even with the PHP or the Monster's Manual. Uh, it's really important, I think, that they uh, that they're really happy with what they're producing and, and selling to, to D&D players. First, because I think the DMG probably gets bought uh, less often than the other two books, if I had to guess. And and also just because uh, there are certain things about 5th like, edition where there's a lot more uh, instances of the DM making a call and uh, in, the, in the PHB, for instance. And, you know, that's fine. 
Um, if, if you've got a DM that knows what they're doing, I think that's reasonable. Uh, if you've got a DM that doesn't know what they're doing, then that's how they learn to know what they're doing. But, uh, with the DMG, you know, if, if there's something in there that doesn't work right out of the box, that's a, I think that's a bigger problem because people are going to, going to ostensibly be learning how to DM for fifth edition from this book. So if there's something that doesn't work there, it could have ramifications. Uh, so yeah, I would say. It's it's probably better that they they push it back and make sure it's right. Although I do hope that there's an online update before uh, the release date, given that I think the online DMG is mostly monsters and not that much actual DMG information. Yes, that is a good point. So and hopefully we will see something soon, you know, to to update that. I would love to see a few more magic items in that uh, packet, as well as some monsters that are not camels. So that would be really great to see as well. Let's hear an ad from our sponsor, noblenight.com. Oh man. Go now. Okay. What is it, friends and podcast personality, Vegas Lancaster? Oh, hey, fellow amiable podcast personality, Rudy Basso the third. I didn't see you walk into the studio. I was just sitting here lamenting a dilemma dramatically. A dilemma? No. But as all our listeners know, you're the happy-go-lucky funny guy. If you're feeling down, it must really be a problem. It sure is. You see, I want to buy lots of gaming products, but many of the things I want are out of print. Oh, man. I feel you, fellow podcaster. That's a very relatable problem many gamers have. But I don't feel that way any more. But you must tell me how. Of course, fellow palcaster. I shop on noblenight.com. They're a brick and mortar game store, which also exists online, and they have tons of products, including all editions of D ampersand D. At noblenight.com, out of print is available again. Oh boy, I'm checking noblenight.com out right now on my smartphone right now. They have so many cool products, but I couldn't possibly buy them all. But, pod bro, don't you know that noblenight.com offers discounts out the wazoo? Jeepers, you're right. Golly, look at those prices. Still, I already have a bunch of old gaming stuff. Even though I'm not using a lot of it, I wouldn't have any space for all the new things I can buy at noblenight.com. My good podcast, Homebray, don't you know that noblenight.com will buy all your old gaming products you aren't using? How do you think they get all those out-of-print products? Great Asmodeus, you're right. I'm glad I have a friend like you, Rudy Basso III. You are smart, and now I am too. That's right. Because smart people shop at noblenight.com. Yep. HTTP colon backslash backslash www.noblenight.com. Okay, I think, I think they got it. And we're back. All right, guys, let's get to our second topic today. And we are talking about a bunch of previews of the monsters that will be coming out in the monster manual by the time this podcast drops a lot of people will have monster manuals because they went to gen con or because they managed to pick up a copy at a store that participates in the early release program there were a bunch of monsters previewed on the wizard site the intellect devourer golems 
Umberhulks, Bone Devils, The Sphinx, Kobolds, and then Forbes had a preview of the Rust Monster, there was a Manticore preview, there was a Thrycreen preview. Those are mainly the ones that we're going to be talking about and discussing, but there have also been some other monsters. The Tarasque was released, the Ancient Red Dragon, which you can now see as part of the basic... DMG, which is online for free at uh, the Dungeons & Dragons site. So I want to kick off the conversation here with the story of these monsters. When you're looking at the monster previews, you can see that they sort of lead with the monster story, right? And we get a a nice block of, of text for a lot of these monsters. You know, some have five or six paragraphs describing things about them. And it seems like, you know... If you're a kobold or a sphinx, you get more text, and if you're an intellect devourer, you might get less, because your story is tied into the story of another creature, presumably, who's going to be in the monster manual, the Mind Flare. So, but anyway, let's talk about these stories. Do you think there's enough there? Is it too much? Do you guys like the stories that you're seeing? Are they inspiring you to think about these guys in different ways? John Fisher, let's start with you. I like how the the story is actually sort of expressed within the rules of the game, actually. Um, Let me look here. I think the Sphinx in particular uh, was kind of cool in that way. Uh, The various things the Sphinx does, like its purpose for being, and then how that is represented in the rules about how, you know, the, their horde or not their horde, but you know, what the secret that they're protecting can be taken away and just be made completely inaccessible. Uh, yeah. So I, I really like the, I really like the, the, the background that they give the fluff text, uh, in these excerpts. Uh, I think it, it adds a lot as a player to sort of not only what to expect, but also like where these monsters exist in their world. Yeah, and from a DM perspective, it gives you a great idea of different ways to use these monsters. You know, reading about the Sphinx and thinking, like, I can remember, you know, when I first started playing when I was 10, it was just like, ah, drop a Sphinx in the middle of the woods and it'll be fine. Or, you know, what level are you guys? Oh, cool, you can fight this now. But now it feels important to weave these things into the proper story. And I, I really like the idea, like, oh, there are these divine guardians who give tests. And, you know, they're they're from other worlds and that kind of thing. It's it's really interesting. Alex Basso, what do you think of the story of these monsters? Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's definitely, um, I just like how concise it is. And it really, you know, they, they have kind of a general introductory paragraph where they, you know, explain the monster. But I love how it's just, you know, it highlights kind of their, their unique features, you know, really among uh, the world. And, you know, it makes it simple, easy to read. Um, you know, even for someone like me who's not, the most interested in lore all the time, you know, I can just check that out and, you know, look over all the bolded, uh, you know, lines and see, you know, kind of read more about, you know, what makes them unique. So I think it's, it's well presented. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like even creatures, you might feel like, you know, everything about right. Kobolds, like in the first few sentences, kobolds laid eggs, which I never really considered how kobolds birthed their young. So that was interesting to learn. And then they go on to say in the next sentence that kobolds mature quickly and can live to be more than a century old. What kobold is living to be more than a century old? <laughs> who is a kobold meeting? who never meets an adventurer? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, the one kobold who stays behind is like, listen, guys, being evil is is not for me. 
Um, so, but again, I thought that was really cool that, you know, even people who've been playing for a while and think they know everything about common creatures are learning new stuff. And I thought that was great. And along with the story, we've got a lot of art and we've been talking a lot about art in the new edition and how it looks. And I have to say, I am again impressed and I really like the look of a lot of this art. Uh, some of the pieces of art are, are a little better i think than others uh the rust monster on the forbes site actually looks uh, almost too cartoony and and like a crayon drawing kind of it's a neat style but it doesn't seem to match the the rest of the things that we're seeing in these previews but I, I, for the most part like i'm really happy with the art i think it captures the creatures well for me and inspires you know matches the story inspires a lot of imagination uh, what are your guys thoughts alex basso uh, yeah, for the most part, I definitely like the art. I mean, sticking with every other art you know, I've seen so far, it, it's really nice, impressive. Uh, I mean, I guess specifics, my favorite would probably have to be the Bone Devil, which mm. uh, I'm just, with the character, it's, it, the design itself just makes me think so much of uh, Alien, you know, the aliens from Alien. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that IP, so just seeing that reminds me of those, and I, and I, I really enjoy the picture. John, how about you? What do you think about the art? I'm a really big fan of it. Um, I, I agree the intellect devourer of the ones that I've seen is probably the the least interesting. Uh, but you know, a lot of the a lot of the art, like the the kobold, looks great. Even though the things are are different styles, even though the monsters are, are slightly different styles, there's I think there's a pretty good uh, level of art direction throughout uh, all of the different uh, examples that they've previewed. Um, you know, they're they're going. They're, I think they look a little bit more like. Um, a classical painting rather than uh, maybe mm-hmm. if you might consider the stuff in the fourth edition a little bit more cartoony. Maybe that's not fair. Maybe I'm going to get a bunch of people mad at me. Sure. About, but a cartoony uh, in the, in the, like the comic book sense almost. Right. 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 Yeah. Like they're very, in the fourth edition stuff, it's all very, uh, very hard lines, very, um, very precise. And, and these are a little bit more like paintings than, than drawings that have been colored in like a comic book. Uh, and I like that a lot. Uh, there's a guy, one of the guys who worked on the Monster Manual, Christopher Burdett. He's got a blog, and I guess he has the right to show the images that he made for the Monster Manual. Mm. Uh, and his in particular, I think, look great. Uh, so it's probably good for him that he's showing those because they're not they're not uh, part of the excerpts that have been officially uh, announced through Wizards. But those in particular look look really good as well. So yeah, overall, really happy with it. I like I like the change in style. I think it's more, I think it's more fitting with. The direction they're going in terms of trying to be more story centered yeah and i i like your description of you know this might be a, a painting like an actual perhaps manual right somebody wrote and then someone painted pictures of all these various monsters for adventurers to look at and say like oh okay when i run up against this this is what it's you know gonna do to me and and i that's kind of a neat idea I also like, you know, uh, you see these little quotes that come in on some of the monsters, like written on a piece of paper, um, like on the Manticore and on the Intellect of Hour. There are funny little quotes um, that that describe sort of the, the monster or things that they do or how people feel about them, which is also cool. I have to say, I think one of the most terrifying of these was actually the Manticore, um, just because they really captured it looking kind of human and bestial and it's got like four three rows of teeth i it's it's scary yeah v- visually i agree with you conceptually though 
the intellect devourer terrifying oh the intellect devourer if i was a fighter i would get i'd just get out i would get out of there yeah. right away oh. like a, a challenge rating two creature that they i mean a party can handle it but one person is possibly just going to be wiped out immediately yeah. that's that's really intimidating <laughs> one dumb person too bad it's yeah. it's just uh my character will be too busy laughing to yeah to fight it <laughs> yeah yeah and that's i mean that's crazy right i mean 5e in general seems very dangerous even just mm. reading these monster stats you can tell and speaking of that let's talk about the stat blocks do you guys think they are easy to read especially compared to other editions i do think one of the things fourth edition did great was give us great monster stat blocks uh what are your thoughts john I've always been a, a bigger fan of, of three than four. Um, I've had fun playing both, but I, I really like the simplicity of the stat block here. It 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 fits in with you know the the level of options that players get, so it makes sense that you know there's a couple of attacks and a couple of uh, cool powers that each monster might have. I would I, the two things that I really like in terms of just the stats and the threat that these monsters all will have for players. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of intelligence saves, like the Intellect Devourer and Charisma saves, which are not things that you see too much in the player's handbook. And I was kind of, when I when I heard that there were, every stat was going to have a save in Fifth Edition, I thought, oh, that's really cool. That's that's a big that's a big reason for for players not to have a complete dump stat, for instance. And but then with the player's handbook, there were maybe like three intelligence saves and three Charisma saves. But you know, of the monsters that we've seen. There's already an intelligence save and already a, a charisma save in there uh, at least once. So, yeah, I'm really liking that. And I really like the the non-attack powers or at least the, the attack powers that aren't claw seem really unique to each monster. You know, Intellect of Hours is the obvious example. But like the Kobold having the pack tactics just as a standard thing, basically getting super flanking, which the players can't even get. Uh, I, I like that a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Having powers that players don't have access to right out of the box for a challenge rating one eighth uh, monster is, is very interesting and it should make combat combat more interesting. One of the things I think is really cool about the stat blocks is that it sort of tells you what something does in story sense as well. You know, they like, they don't just give you the mechanics of the attack and its effects. They describe what's going on, which is helpful, right? As a DM, because, you know, if you're in a weird circumstantial situation, perhaps that attack is more or less effective. And I I like seeing that kind of thing. Alex Basso, what do you think? How are these stat blocks? Uh, I really like just how they're laid out, Uh, especially, you know, the only ones I've been comparing it to is fourth ed. Um, you know, I just like how it's, you know, they all really follow the same thing. You got, you know, your stats, you know, your special abilities, which are, you know, described in their couple sentences and then actions. And it seems like it's a lot more convenient to kind of go through. Well, compared to fourth ed, where, you know, you'd have your standard actions, your encounter, you have to look all over that big stat, stat block. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it looks, looks good and, and a nice layout. And, um, I mean, the monsters themselves, you know, they all have some cool abilities. The one, I guess, kind of concern I have as you know, someone who's only played fourth ed is just looking at the Sphinx and seeing that huge list of spells, uh, you know, cantrips through six level that it has. Uh, that must be really a little bit of an annoyance, I guess, for a DM to have to go between, you know, two books to kind of check out all the spells. I mean, I honestly don't see, you know, really another way to do it, but that's something I'm, I'm not really used to. Uh, and, you know, fourth ed explaining all the encounter abilities and any ability that a monster got. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right, and it's right, they're trying to balance, they want to fit more monsters in, so they don't want to reprint the same spell a thousand times, because then people will be mad that they did that. But it is it is true, flipping between books is, is going to make that difficult. I will be interested to see Dungeonscape, if, you know, if somebody can use a spell, can you just click on the spell, and will it take you to that spell's description, and then you can shrink that window down, and you're back in your monster. That would be really great. So Dungeonscape, there you go, that idea is for free. You can have that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's easy to do. Uh, so go ahead, do it. It's Here, easy, and they're definitely listening. Yes, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> 100%. I'm sure. <laughs> the, here's the question. Do the monsters have enough abilities for you guys? It seems like they have a few, uh, you know, compact, great abilities that, you know, some that are unique to the monster, and some, like John said, that are like claw, um, because, you know, everybody needs a good claw attack. So what do you think? Alex Basso, are there enough attacks on these monsters for uh, you? I'm going to say... I think the monsters have enough, like, special traits. Um, mm-hmm. What they do kind of seem to lack is just, like, kind of unique actions, like the Umber Hulk, the, the Devil, the Cobalt. They all just basically have, you know, attack. Which I guess, you know, D&D fit that in general. You know, if you're a fighter or a martial type, for the most part, you just have attack. So it's not that different. But I, I guess it's a little disappointing uh, after being so used to all these special actions that you'd have to face to just, you know, oh, the monster's going to walk up to me and bite by claw or... Or whatever, claw claw bite. Sorry, or tail attack. <laughs> so, but I mean, they all do have their unique traits that, uh, you know, like that Umberhold gaze is going to be devastating, and all that stuff that uh, doesn't relate to actual attacks, but you're going to have to be, be wary of, and you know, whenever you're encountering them. Sure, sure. And and from a DM perspective, I have to say that while it's great to have monsters who have massive abilities, by the end of our fourth edition campaigns, when you got to those epic monsters who had two or three auras and a million action points and actions and ways to regain stuff, and when they died, they came back from the dead, and 13 tentacles, each with its own unique brain. It was one of those things where, by the end, you were looking for the monsters who had the fewest attacks because they were the easiest ones to run. And so I kind of like here that a lot of the abilities that work are, you know, are, are something that's passive. Like, oh, okay, I just need to remember that he has advantage on saving throws against magical effects. Great, got it. Or I need to remember that when this kobold's in sunlight it's going to have disadvantage on attack rolls. Cool, got that as well. So, uh, you know, I I do think I will miss sometimes the creatures who have tons and tons of crazy effects, but I also think at the same time that it's it's nice to have creatures who are compact and easy to run. Uh, John Fisher, what are your thoughts? Um, I really like the, the, the always-on things that you were talking about or the conditional things, like I'm looking at the clay golem right now and it has the whole description of berserk and when it goes berserk. Um, I think that that is going to add a lot of flavor to encounters where you have a monster that's going to change its behavior halfway through an encounter, maybe. Um, the clay golem looks like maybe a little bit more than halfway, but, you know, whatever. So that kind of thing adds a lot of versatility uh, where maybe, you know, that's replacing some of the extra powers. And then obviously the legendary creatures just have a lot of uh, powers. I mean, not necessarily compared to a fourth ed monster, but just compared to the baseline. Uh, so that's good. The one thing I wish there was more of is the kobolds sort of have a way of saying, okay, here's how a kobold acts by itself, and here's how a kobold acts if there's more than one kobold. Like, they're going to try and do this if there's more than one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, one thing that, this, that you know, 
maybe could be added here that could give more variety is how these different monsters would work if there's many of them. And like, for instance, the, the clay golem has a couple of different powers that are, you know, synergistic within the clay golem itself. But maybe if there was some hint of saying, you know, if you've got two, one of them can do this and the other one can be doing that. And that's a pretty great combination that can all happen in one round. Uh, maybe that's holding the DM's hand a little bit too much, but I think something like that could have maybe been added to to make things a little bit more varied. But I mean, overall, I really like the the variety that is there, and I think that the monsters are are more individual than they've been uh, in the past, even if they have fewer uh, attack actions. Yeah, and I think you're right, and it would be cool. I mean, I I hope that the rock you know, has its dance of ruin ability where three Vrocks can join hands and, you know, bring down some terrible ruin upon adventurers and that sort of thing. But you're, you're right. For the most part, there there isn't a lot of, this is how this fights in a group, this is how it fights individually. Guys, challenge rating. The way challenge rating is working is that people should not be fighting monsters above their challenge rating unless you want to put them in an extremely deadly situation. For the most part, you know, these these monsters sort of run the gamut challenge rating-wise. You know, the Sphinx is 17, the Cobalt is 1 eighth. So do you think that these monsters are appropriate for their challenge rating? Do they look like they would be, you know, uh, tough on adventurers at their given levels and uh, particularly adventurers below their given levels? Uh, John, what do you think? It, it, I think it is tough to say. I mean, we talked about the intellect of, or maybe I was just the one talking about it because I'm obsessed with the intellect of our, because <laughs> um, I just think image aside, I, I love the concept of something eating a player's brain. Um, but, you know, that's something where, you know, yeah, the party is definitely going to be able to defeat that as an individual at level two, but there's a good chance somebody's going to die, even if it doesn't, if that you know character doesn't die from being clawed to death there's other things that are kills for that and um i will say one thing that's difficult to ascertain is in general players are going to know uh the situations in which they're going to have an advantage or not not the the game rule advantage but just in general an advantage so like if the entire party has dark vision they're not going to have a problem going down to a dungeon and if the entire party doesn't have dark vision they're going to need a torch and they're going to need to figure out you know how to stay hidden if they've got a torch and th- these are things the parties are going to have to deal with mm-hmm. um and the same is true of monsters so like the kobold in sunlight is way weaker than it is in a dungeon where there's mm-hmm. no sunlight and i don't know if disparity in power is actually big enough that i feel like it should have a different challenge rating if it's in its favorite environment and i don't know if the challenge rating one eighth is for its favorite environment or for if it's for uh, you know, out in the sunlight and, you know, that could maybe be clearer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that, but it is kind of like, you know, the Demi Lich in its lair uh, is tougher, has a higher challenge rating than when it's out of its lair. So it would make right, sense. But that's, that's explicit, right? Yes. Yeah. That's... Yeah. That is explicit and it's not here. Um, and I do think you're right. That sunlight disadvantage is pretty huge hmm. alex basso what do you think about the challenge ratings on these guys i mean it, it's a little hard to say you know being that we never really fought anything yet um 
But I mean, it just looking at it, all the monsters, everything seems really like tough. This not except the kobold, uh, <laughs> as it should be. I mean, just like looking at the Umberhulk, the defenses jump up quick. So I mean, definitely challenge rating five, which is what the Umberhulk's at. Like that, I can't see a level one, part, you know, a lower level party going to attack that thing for the most part, even hitting it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, those challenge ratings definitely seem like you're something you're gonna need to go by. Um, you know, if you want to keep your party alive, uh, you know, anything above it's probably going to result in a, a party member death, and uh, that's not always fun. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's cool to take on a tough monster when you're lower level. Yeah, kind of. yeah, no, it is. It's very cool, but at the same time, you don't want to be killing everybody. That's not going to be fun after a while. Um, so, or perhaps after the first time. Uh, so I, I think you guys are right. And it is something we're definitely going to have to see in play. So we're going to have to keep playing guys. And speaking of playing, do you think you want to play with these monsters? When you read the description, when you see their stat blocks and everything, when you see the art, does it make you want to get in the game and play? Does it make you want to run these monsters or summon them? Does it make you want to fight them? And is there anything about them that you would change? What do you think, Alex? Oh, I absolutely want to fight a bunch of these. I, well, I do and I don't, because like I said, they all seem really scary, and I hate dying. <laughs> uh, you know, it's my bad. I, I've only died once. In hey, you are unique in that, and it's very years. strange. Got <laughs> <laughs> me. But uh, you know, I like a tough fight, and some of these monsters, like especially the Sphinx, the Sphinx's lair abilities just look insane. So these monsters, yeah, they look good, um, and just you know, combine you know some. You can't wait to see what party encounter or monster encounters you come up with, James, combining some of these. Yeah, it definitely makes me want to run them, and I definitely have some ideas to run them for you guys. How about you, John? Do you want to fight these monsters? Do you want to run these monsters? Is there anything you would change? Uh, yeah, I want to fight pretty much all of them. I mean, the Sphinx is, is scary, and maybe my character that's in your game right now would probably get killed immediately by a Sphinx, even at the right level, but, you know, whatever. Uh, they all look like a challenge um, in the right context. Even the kobold, I'll be honest, I think that because of because I don't know what the challenge rating means because of the sunlight sensitivity, I, I do think that the kobold could be uh, a bigger challenge than maybe we might think just looking at it. Um, yeah, I think all of these are could give a variety of, of fights. I've got a, I, I, I'm I'm kind of worried to see the intellect devourer in your game because I've got a feeling we might eventually see one. Um, <laughs> The one thing I I don't remember in was there a rust monster in fourth edition? There was. There was. Okay, I can't remember in third edition if it could rust magical weapons as well as non magical weapons. Uh, it uh, could. It could. It could. Yeah. yeah. That that's the one thing actually. I would of all of these monsters that I would change. I would make it so that it can rust magical weapons as well because I think that I think that would add a unique challenge that could make even high level adventurers concerned. Yeah. Uh, you know, as it is for a first level party it's still going to be a, a threat because it can destroy all your weapons but from what i gather the idea is that because of bounded accuracy you should be able to use these monsters all the way up to level 20 if the dm uses them correctly and you know that that would be something cool but uh yeah i mean they all seem like a challenge they all seem like they'd be we'd have to use different tactics to fight them and and go about fighting things in a different way and i, I like that a lot cool yeah yeah i do agree about the rust monster it would be Nice to see it be able to rust some magical equipment. Let's talk about this, guys. To wrap up, which of these monsters that we're talking about is your favorite and which is your least favorite and why? And we will start with you, John Fisher. Uh, low level, gotta go with the kobold. I really like the pack tactics. 
uh, even though I was saying I, I'm, I'm worried about the challenge rating being somewhat unclear, I like the pack tactics. I think that adds a level of challenge that you wouldn't necessarily see. Like it's not a, it's not just a reskin of a goblin to me anymore, which I like. And then high level of the ones we're looking at, the Sphinx, but even of all the ones they've shown, like the Tarrasque and the and the, the Red Dragon, I think I actually like the Sphinx the best, just because the layer actions are so cool. Uh, least favorite, I think I actually have to go with the Bone Devil right now. I think it looks really cool, uh, but uh, in terms of variety, I feel like it's it looks like it does one thing. That's pretty much it. Looks like it attacks. That's and, probably my least favorite for that reason. Yeah, and to be fair, in the preview that we're given, the Bone Devil has no story attached to it at this point. Right, right, exactly. I mean, the the fluff could actually could help that a lot because I think it actually does add a lot to the the monsters where we're seeing that. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So it does have a a really cool you know half page art, which is probably why there's no story on the page that we're seeing. But it would be nice to get a little bit more of the story. Alex Basso, which monster is your favorite and which is your least? Uh, so my favorite is the Umber Hulk. Um, mm. I mean, besides the fact that I just love the look at them. It's like those super muscular beetles. Uh, I just love, you know, the idea of fighting a monster that once you get close to it, you got to basically look away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's like it has invisibility almost. And the, the gaze itself just seems like a really cool mechanic. Um, you know, because, you know, you can get taken under kind of control by it, but, you know, then you also roll that D8. So it could, you know, the, how severe it is depends on how you roll. My least favorite monster, it's going to be the Intellect Devourer, just because <laughs> it's so ridiculous looking. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I do also, you know, I know John loves in how cool, you know, its mechanics are, and I agree, some of the stuff is cool, but it's a brain with legs. That's all it is. I hate, I hate how it looks. That's all you are, Alex, if you really think about it. <laughs> uh, That's right. Existential crisis <laughs> on the podcast. I think the Umber Hulk is going to be, if, they, if facing rules are in the DMG, if there's a module for facing, because I don't think there's facing in the, in the PHB at all. I think the Umber Hulk is the, is the one monster where you're going to see a lot of swing based on rules modules, just because... You know, it, without facing, you can't grapple an Umber Hulk and make it face a wall because there's no facing. So you can't, like, it's always facing wherever it wants to be, mm. even if you're grappling it. Th- that was the one thing that stuck out to me in terms of, I do think it's cool, but I, I think it's going to, its power is going to vary a lot. If, yeah. If, depending on the rules module that you, the rules module that you use. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we'll see that true for a lot of different rules modules, right? Like, if certain monsters are you know, powers will be greater if you use a facing module or not, or if you use a threatening reach module or not, that kind of thing. Right. Or like flanking. Um, if there's a flanking module, that's going to make the kobold a lot less impressive. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Although that I will say that since kobolds usually attack in numbers, the fact that they would have advantage that way probably makes their sunlight ability a little less impactful because they, you know, they they will attack in packs and their advantage will outweigh their disadvantage. John Fisher, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me every couple of months saying something on Twitter as the last Fisher. That's pretty much it. Nice. And that's Fisher spelled how? F-I-S-C-H-E-R, James. Excellent. Excellent. And Alex Basso, he's not on the internet, so don't look for him. 
Guys, if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to John and Alex. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.